0: Hi, you're listening to Chris T on... Wait, you're listening to me at the moment, but Mr T, not the Mr T, Chris T will be along, and I'm Ricky Gervais. What I mean is the programme that this is
1: part of is, is Chris... You you get the idea. <laughs> he's he's quite a sort of like a, uh, a wisecracker. I, I love those guys. I, you know, they're, they're, they, they laugh in the face of adversity, but they... They always end up at square one. I love that. <laughs> yeah, except no substitutes. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it.
0: Let him have it. There's a button, a switch
1: for everything. You're listening to Ariel View worldwide on the internet.
0: i do it already. Well this is any of you got lots of juice. What kind of radio show is this? I've heard his voice, take reading the document. Read I've many, many times on both sides and a host state in New Jersey, and I don't care who we are. First honest, let's talk. I'm sick of talking. Stop. Oh, you get of here. about? to talk to people. That's I've this man go on the air deliver a coded message. Come on.
1: I'm not out of my mind. Now, we're going to listen to what he said on Because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time. Again a man's life. I don't see that in any
0: argument. I can see you're really upset about this.
1: It's all right. It's okay. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. You speak English, sir? You've told me who's so. Chris, stand up and wiggle your heads for us. Oh, I know that guy. But we're young and poor. Yeah, he's a nihilist. And I'll smack your face
0: for you, y'all. Did you stop, Dad? Hey. Shut up. Conversation is a two-way street. Stop. I don't get you. I don't get your act. acting. I don't think you do. I don't think you know what you're trying to do or how to go about it. You're stupid. I heard it over the radio. Real stupid. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about every I'm talking about God. I'll catch my voice Let me again, please! I'm a famous radio personality you now. Most people today could care less about the radio person I couldn't agree with you more He's always talking about some radio star I've never heard of You don't know, like my stories You don't have to listen to my program Listen to the radio, find out what's going on Listen to the talk shows and you will find out what's going on in this Oh, man, the talk radio? Yes, talk radio it's so
1: boring, man
0: And just made a suicide I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious
1: responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, big. Blast him!
0: Give him some of that tone! Oh, man. It's showtime.
1: will we'll make for this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about?
0: Whatever happens to my dear, that's what you're going to want. them you with the caller. Other times, he sets him straight. Well, right. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? And that must mean that we're up here at Gobbler's Knob, waiting for the forecast from the world's most famous groundhog weatherman, Punxsutawney Phil, who's just about to tell us how much more winter we can expect. Hi, I was wondering if this was the same Chris T who does um, the radio show. Because um, if it is, I think your show's really great. Um, but if it isn't, um, I'm sorry to have bothered you. Welcome back. It's another aerial view happening live here at uh, just after 6 p.m. on the east coast of the United States of America. My name is Chris T. I've been at this talk radio game. for longer than I even want to admit. Sometimes I think, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Aerial view first went on the air in 1989. Originally heard over the airwaves of uh, WFMU. I got into a a back and forth this week after posting something on Facebook about... uh, these these trading cards that WFMU put out some years ago called Airwave Idols cards. And uh, I talked to my friend Kaz, who, who brought me down to the station many, many years ago, 1986, into doing an illustration of me. And it ended up on the card. And I found it while I was cleaning out this closet downstairs. And I held it in my hand and I looked at it and the memories came flooding back. The memories. So I put the picture I took of it up on uh, Facebook. And I wrote something that I thought was clever. About uh, how I feel like Leia Remini and David Miscavige no longer returns my calls or texts or emails and I was being flip very often I am flip and uh, somebody who I, I, I don't know I, I think this person would best be described as a frenemy because you know how friends are supposed to act friendly towards you <laughs> This person has often felt it's their duty to take me to task and tell me that I'm not welcome to my feelings and that I'm wrong about stuff and that I'm misinterpreting things and that how dare you compare this place to a cult and what you're saying then is a bunch of your friends are in a cult and I was like look I was a member of that cult for 30 years and Even the person who I was referring to, David Miscavige, the David Miscavige figure, has joked about it being a cult, has joked about it being a benevolent dictatorship. But when you have one person who's been in charge for 35 years, who makes all the decisions about who gets to be on and who doesn't get to be on, well, that's a problem. And when there's a pattern of behavior that emerges with uh, people being pushed through the one-way door, who uh, can't get back in if they wanted to because they were deemed insufficiently loyal or there's some other reason that's a personal reason between the David Miscavige figure and that other person, then that's a problem as far as I'm concerned. And if you can't acknowledge the problem, by the way, this person did acknowledge that there is a problem and this person did acknowledge that what goes on is not cool, man and that they've accepted it as part of the deal of getting to be on the air there. And uh, and that's the deal you accept. I guess I couldn't accept the deal any longer. Back in in 2014 when I had a really bad falling out with this person who I considered a friend, who I I, I associated with quite frequently, Sweet T and I socialized, I house sat this enigma that I never really got to know because there was always a part of that person that was utterly closed off. And so uh, there was only so close that you could get, but I got as close as I, as I guess a person could get. But when the bad falling out ha- happened in 2014 over the disagreement I had about a judgment that he had made, the decision he had made, and of course I'm speaking circumspectly here, So you got to read between the lines, but I just said, uh, hey, I I don't really agree with this decision. And, you know, because I often forgot to use a scalpel and I would engage a cleaver, I probably didn't say it as adroitly as I could have. Matter of fact, part of the criticism that was leveled at me at the time was that it's the way you say things, not even the things you're saying. And I said, oh, okay. But at the time, in 2014, some things were said to me that I found it really hard to look past. Sometimes the veil drops, and people tell you what they really think of you. And uh, it may be after some wine or whatever it might be, but in this case, it didn't require any wine. All it took was a lot of anger. And uh, I went home that day and thinking, wow, is that... Wait a minute, where's my thinking reverb? Who's got my thinking reverb? God damn it. I want someone to get my thinking reverb. You got me coming out of an upbeat song talking about a dog dying? I remember going home thinking, is that what they really think about me? Is that what that person really thinks about me? Really? Truly? In their heart of hearts? Then what am I doing there? I mean, this is an institution that I had dedicated a massive part of my life to it was at the center of everything for me the center of all my relationships my friendships romantic relationships my job everything and i had to take a long look in the mirror and say to myself what am i wait a minute, what am i doing And every time I would go down there to do my show subsequently, I, I I would have this weird post-traumatic stress disorder, this PTSD around this person. I couldn't look him in the eyes. I, I couldn't be in the same hallway. I just felt deep shame, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And I couldn't do anything about it. And then I got the news that I was in to need foot surgery. and I, And I... I wanted to try to stay on the air, and I wanted to try to figure out a way to do my show from home, and I was told in no uncertain terms that that wasn't going to happen, that other people have asked, you live too close, Uh, if you were in the middle of uh, Kentucky, maybe, if you were in England, maybe, but you're uh, not even a few miles away, and there's no way that's not going to happen, so... I thought that at the time was ludicrous I thought hey how about making some reasonable accommodation for the fact that I can't get around and uh that wasn't about to happen and I accepted it I accepted it I said okay but here's this other thing that happened between us that that we, we need to figure out we need to talk about because I don't feel good about giving you my time and my money anymore So can we talk about what happened? Can we talk about the things you said to me and why you said them and why you felt you had cause to say them and what the fuck, actually? And I had a long, uncomfortable phone conversation that ended in a forced apology, a mealy mouth. Well, if that's the way you feel, then I'm sorry. Now, when someone prefaces an apology by saying... If that's the way you feel, it's a non-apology. Because, of course, that's the way you feel. Because, of course, you've brought it up and you're saying something about it. So, yeah, that's the way I feel. And I wrote emails saying, hey, by the way, I'm leaving. It took two years for me to get the hell out of there. It took two years for me to get the hell out of there. To finally extract myself and in the last few months I was sending emails and then this person had told me previously that my emails were being filtered into the trash the email trash and I don't even know if these emails were being received but I sent the emails and I have sent and, and they were never replied to no reply whatsoever and I thought that's 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 really odd, after all these years. Really? No reply? None? And I would only get a reply if I asked a specific question, like, where where do you want me to leave the keys to the building? Where should I leave the keys? Then I would get a response, but otherwise... And so I took my ball and I went home. And I didn't feel good about it. I loved doing a phone-in talk show. I loved the fact that aerial view... On a Friday night at 6 p.m. or a Tuesday night at 6 p.m., people would call. By the way, I have a phone number here, 760-422-5528, but tonight we're going to welcome back to the program Constitutional Professor Ken Katkin, and we're going to talk about the second impeachment trial. And Ken will join us in just moments from now. This is the Hound NYC. Dot com where you can hear Hound Howls every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crashing the Party, duop Chop Shop of the air with Mark and Miriam. You got those doo on vinyl. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky in that I parlayed my particular talents for being able to sit still in front of a microphone and be informative and entertaining and relevant into an actual career, where I was paid well to do talk radio, Monday through Friday, three hours a day on the satellite radio. Now that turned into a whole other shit show, because the world is just full of egomaniacs and malignant narcissists and people who want to be in charge. And uh, they want to be in charge, but they don't really have uh, the talent, so they ride on other people's talent is what they do. They take advantage. And uh, down at the old radio factory where I began my radio career, the place was run on a lot of volunteer labor. Not only was I volunteering X amount of hours every week, but uh, I was digging into my pocket deep every year to the tune of thousands of dollars to donate to keep the place afloat. And when I wasn't doing my own show, I was working on other people's shows and I was going and doing live broadcasts and engineering and every spare moment, just part of the thing, trying to be part of the thing, trying to help out. And now, persona non grata, because in the intervening years, I've written to the gatekeeper and I've said, hey, I regret some things that happened. What about you? Do you regret anything that happened? And uh, nothing. No reply, no response. And uh, going back to this Facebook uh, Facebook post that I made and this frenemy that started jumping down my throat telling me why I was wrong about everything and how I'm thick-headed and I never listen and, you know, just that kind of stuff. And I never own up to my part in things. And I have daddy issues. And I, I, I basically said, look, I, this is really condescending. And by the way, why don't you talk about the person in charge and his daddy issues and his mommy issues and his anger issues? Because he gets to have all of those and still be in charge for 35 years and still abuse people and either force people out or cause them to walk away or otherwise make it really uncomfortable for them to stay and... There's now a legion of us. There's now a legion of the excommunicated, people who ran afoul in one way or another and are no longer welcome there. And part of the problem is there's a crush of people who want to be involved with the place. There's always fresh blood. And you get to be careless with people when you have a constant stream of them coming through who want to be part of the place. In my particular skill set, the uh, fact that I can sit here and do this and take calls and talk to just about anybody and not suck at it and not be boring as fuck at it. Well, what does that get you in the end? The talk show job, it went away because of Donald Trump, who we're going to talk about for the rest of the show because of his second impeachment. But it was a relief because I used to wake up in the morning and to put my feet on the floor and say, "When is this gonna end, dear God? When is this gonna end?" And now, when I get nostalgic about the old Radio Factory, the place where I started, and I and I get uh, I get to be reminded about it constantly because if you're on social media for more than two minutes, I stole them friends, you know, fake fec- Facebook friends with a lot of the people who are down there and. They mention it constantly because it's a point of pride for them to be involved with the place. And even when I open my store, people coming through, mentioning the place, I get to remember. Oh, yeah. I was part of that place for many years. And now I'm not. And many people have said to me, even as recently as last week, when I was discussing this whole Facebook contretemps with somebody, you gotta just you got to move on. You just got to leave it behind. And I said, yeah, I left it behind. It doesn't leave me behind. That's what it comes down to. Speaking of meeting people through uh, WFMU, let's call Professor Ken Katkin. He's been on this show more than a few times. At this point, I've lost count how hey, Chris. many times. Hey, he is a professor at law at Northern Kentucky University Chase College of Law been on the faculty there for 21 years at this point is that how long it's been Yeah
1: although this semester I'm actually a visiting professor at the University of Colorado but but I am that is I am still at Northern Kentucky University also
0: You know, you mentioned that last time, are you, so does that mean you're physically in Colorado or are you working remotely? What are you you doing? I'm working remotely because I, yeah,
1: I couldn't get there and the students aren't meeting in the classroom anyhow. So I'm I'm sitting home a thousand miles away from my classroom, teaching classes on Zoom. You don't even get the benefits of legal
0: weed? No,
1: (laughs) although I talk about it in class a lot. Holy crap. (laughs) I mean,
0: will you ever get to Colorado, you think, if things calm down, if you feel like getting on a plane? Are you... Do they have a spot for you there? What's the deal? Yeah, I have an office and a phone number and everything
1: there. My phone rings in my empty office and then uh, the voicemails get forwarded to me on email. But um, I might get there, you know, spring break, I might head out there. I'd probably drive out there, um, but I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen.
0: Now, are you doing constitutional law there? Because you also have taught communications law and... Entertainment yeah, law, so. I am. I'm
1: teaching constitutional law and also administrative law, which is another form of constitutional law in Boulder this this semester.
0: Ah, one of the few uh, places in Colorado I've been to. I've been to Denver and Boulder. Boulder is uh, it's a nice town. Very crunchy in Boulder. Yeah, very, very crunchy there. Um, well, it's good to have you back again. And I think about you a lot when I'm reading the paper now, because there's a lot of mention of the Constitution, because we're going... We've been going through. Would you agree that we've been going through a like a four or five year long constitutional crisis? Yes. um, Yes, we have been. (laughs) That Donald Trump represents a living, walking constitutional stress test.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's great for professors because he provides a lot of uh, novel problems to teach from. But um, I think that law professors might be about the only people he's good for.
0: This is like that curse about, you know, that blessing curse. May you live in interesting times. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, And and also when I was reading about Jamie Raskin, who uh, I guess the day of the insurrection, he was writing up impeachment papers, right? The brief. He's a constitutional law professor. Yeah, at
1: uh, American University in Washington, D.C. And he which he lives just over the line in Maryland. So he's a congressman from Maryland.
0: Now, was it, did that do your heart good to see that a constitutional law professor was uh, writing this second impeachment up or does it still have the same? Well, the same you know, odds.
1: It doesn't, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say I think Adam Schiff did a terrific job on the first one and he, he's not a constitutional law professor. But uh, yeah, but I am glad Jamie Raskin's involved. But really, the, the impeachment is such a political proceeding that very few votes are going to be influenced by the quality of the briefs either, either, in either direction, I think.
0: Have you had a chance to read the 80 pages of the brief? yeah, it's it's good. So what is the main thrust of this thing beyond fomenting an insurrection? what What else are they mentioning in the brief?
1: Well, that the insurrection itself was part of a, um, a, a an extended constitutional crisis, right? So that Trump had decided after he lost the election, um, not to participate in a peaceful transfer of power. So the, the insurrection was like his final contingency, but he started right away um, trying to um, lean on um, Republican state officials, Republican election officials, or secretaries of state in different states um, to 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 lean on them to 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 steal votes for him or to change the outcomes of elections illegally. Um, and then he tried to uh, file, you know, more than sixty completely frivolous um, court cases, many of which involved filing completely false. Sworn affidavits from 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 random kooks, um, and then he uh, and then he tried to lean on state uh, legislators to to uh, illegally try to change the outcomes of elections, and then he tried to lean on Republican members of Congress to do that. And when all else failed, he tried to uh, disrupt the electoral count through violence that he directed. So, you know, it sort of makes out a a a, a case that there was a a two month long conspiracy after he lost the election. To try uh, every possible dirty trick in the book to thwart the uh, peaceful transfer of power that um, should have fo- followed from the him losing the election.
0: And Trump's lawyers, uh, I believe the firm is Dewey, Cheatem and Howe. Yeah, he couldn't, even, he couldn't even keep Rudy Giuliani working. For him. He couldn't keep twenty thousand dollars a day, Rudy <laughs> Giuliani on the uh, on the payroll. Was that true? By the way, a did, a did we... then he, then he stiffed him? Did it did, did it turn out that he actually? Giuliani thought him and his staff were worthy of twenty grand a day. Yeah, it's true. true, Right. Agreed
1: to pay him that, and then he stiffed him. Wow,
0: just amazing. Yeah. So, uh, whoever these fart knockers are, do you know the name of uh, these two guys that uh, are representing him now? (laughs) Yeah, one of them is named Sean. I
1: can't remember the other guy's name. One weird kind of connection I have to this is, um, I told you I'm visiting at Boulder this semester. The the other guy visiting at Boulder this semester is a guy named John Eastman. And uh, he normally teaches at a university out in California called Chapman Law School. And uh, he was the guy that Rudy Giuliani hired um, to, to make all the crazy arguments about... Um, That that Mike Pence had the authority to steal the election, and on that day, when um, on 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 January sixth, when Trump had that rally that led to the insurrection, um, one of the opening speakers before um, uh, Trump was Giuliani, and Giuliani actually turned the podium over to um, Eastman, um, who's who is visiting at Boulder this semester with me. Although I've never met the guy because I'm not physically there, and I I I, you know I just haven't met him, but. after that happened, they, the University of Colorado yanked him out of his classrooms. So he's still getting paid his salary there, but he's not um, uh, allowed to teach classes anymore. And then um, he was supposed to get to represent um, uh, Trump at this second impeachment. But then, um, you know, he'd been hired by Giuliani. So when Giuliani got fired by Trump, uh, um, Eastman, uh, bit the, you know, he, he was a casualty of that also.
0: Well, let's start with the fact that Trump's lawyers misspelled uh, United States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In their brief, it says unites, and it says it yep. a couple of times. It wasn't just once. It was yeah. at the very top of this brief that they filed, and uh, it goes, it descends from there. The lawyers are David Schoen, S C H O E N, and Bruce Caster Jr.
1: Yeah, Caster was the guy whose name I forgot. Schoen was the guy I remembered. Yeah.
0: Yeah, those are the two guys who uh, managed to hang on. While everybody else ran for the hills right. and they they are arguing in their brief that the Senate, quote, lacks jurisdiction to remove from office a man who does not hold office, unquote. This is this is amazing. This is like saying if you if you get fired from your job and on the way out the door, you steal the copy machine that they can't prosecute you for stealing the copy machine.
1: Is yeah, it, is I mean, that too right. simplistic? There's no, there's no merit to that argument, and there's many different um, reasons for that. So one is, of course, the House did impeach him while he was still president. So um, it could possibly be argued that um, the House can only impeach someone who's in office, but they did. And the Senate, um, the only thing it says in the Constitution about that is that the Senate has the power to try all impeachments. Um, so there's no limitation there if the person leaves office. Also, in, in addition to removal from office, which is moot now because he's out of office, um, the Constitution says um, uh, disqualification from future office holding is um, also a possible um, uh, uh, result of an impeachment. And that, and, that requires and, and a second vote, right? every time somebody gets removed from office through an impeachment, if there's a separate vote taken, whether to disqualify them from future office holding, that happens after they've already been removed from office. So that that can only happen to someone who's already out of office, as, as, as Trump is. So, yeah, there's really no merit to this. Plus, it's happened a few times before. There have been several impeachments of, of uh, office holders who've already left office, although none of them were presidents.
0: Now, staying with their response, he, their lawyers, his lawyers also doubled down on these, these charges that he was cheated that there was fraud in the election. So even in this document they're essentially saying that there was a reason for him to be so uh, pissy.
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of astonishing that he's he's um uh, arguing um uh, that he was justified in directing a violent mob against the uh, the, the 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 coequal branch of uh, government the, the US Congress. And uh I think that argument um could cost him a few republican votes although I doubt it'll cost him the 17 that would actually take to convict him. But uh, I I literally think there's nothing he could say. He could show up at the impeachment trial and start shooting guns again. And you still wouldn't find 17 Republican senators to vote against him, I think. But but I think he might wind up with, you know, five to 10 voting against him. And he might have had a a chance of keeping a few more on board if he hadn't made that argument.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that because I feel the same way. I feel like this is going to and the same way, and there are opinion articles popping up now that say that this is only going to make things worse because now he'll be the only president in history to survive impeachment twice. Does that make well, him more, quote unquote, powerful or what What does that do? Yeah, it's a good
1: question. I'll tell you, I was a little skeptical about starting an impeachment as soon as they are, like next week, because I, I thought all along, and I still think, and I think you thought all along, and still think, there's never going to be 17 Republican votes to remove him. So, so an impeachment has to end in an acquittal, and so that leads to the question, you know, why do it? And it seems to me the the main reason to do it, um, especially this time around, as opposed to the first time around. Is that if the Democrats are in the majority in the Senate and control the proceedings, then you know last time McConnell had the ability to block any witnesses from being called or anything like that. But this time, that's up to that's up to Schumer and and, and Harris. And so, to me, the reason to do it is to make it go on for a whole month and drag in a, a million witnesses and really uh, educate the public about all the terrible things that he did and just make it impossible to sweep that under the rug. And then you know when the Republicans at the end vote to acquit. That'll be seen as a as a as a um, non meritorious you know just utterly political vote. But I think if you're really going to spend that month doing a full blown trial like I'm talking about, um, it would have made sense to delay it by another month or two because there's too much that the Senate needs to get done right now. And I think even the Dems. You know, who haven't even done things like confirmed Merrick Garland to be attorney general yet, um, I, I think they're going to feel pressure to keep things moving because they just have so much else they have to do. The, the country has so many problems now. Biden hasn't seated his administration. Uh, COVID has, hasn't been dealt with. There, there's no budget. You know, there, there's just so many things right now that I think there's a limit to how much time they'd put into it. Whereas I think, you know, two months from now, when McConnell's filibustering everything and nothing's happening anyhow, Um, then I think that would be the time to have like a month long impeachment trial. Just rub it in Trump's face. So it's too soon, you think it may be too soon, but I think it's too soon only because I think the pressure to get it over with fast will be um, hard for Dems to resist because many Dems have other things they really want the Senate to be doing right now.
0: The theory on doing it now is while the memories are fresh about what happened on January 6th. Isn't that the theory they're proceeding under?
1: Yeah. And I think that's true. But what I would say is you could make up for, for the fading memories by just putting on all the evidence of it. Right. I mean, most of this stuff was shot on film. You know, there's, there's nothing to stop, you know, showing tons and tons of film during this trial and then calling in, you know, various, um, all, you know, all, all the Congress members and, and many staffers, you know, were victims of this. Many, many Capitol Police officers, besides the one who got killed and the two who committed suicide, many others were maimed and injured. One of them's going to, you know, has lost an eye. You know, all these people can be witnesses. So So, you know, it's not uncommon in ordinary criminal cases for the criminal trials to happen a year after the crimes, and, uh, and for the juries not to have even know about the crimes in the first place. And so it's certainly possible to paint a, a vivid picture um, uh, through witnesses and through film and through artifacts, um, uh, you know, after some time has passed. And I, it's not that I don't agree that it's better to move faster, but I just think there's a higher cost of that right now, because other things really need to be happening right now in the Senate.
0: You're listening to Aerial View on the HoundNYC.com. My guest is constitutional professor Ken Katkin, who uh, is uh, visiting at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Is that where it is? Yeah. Okay. And uh, whose normal gig is uh, Chase College of Law, Northern Kentucky University, and also Trash Flow Radio, heard Saturdays. Uh, where can we hear Trash Flow Radio? It's
1: on a radio station in Cincinnati, Ohio, called WAIF, WAIF uh, 88.3 FM, and on the Internet at WAIF883.org. Thank you. Uh,
0: no, thank you. You've been a repeat <laughs> guest on this program because, as I mentioned, uh, walking, talking, constitutional stress test, Donald J. Trump, who, again, we return to the brief that his lawyers filed in quote-unquote defense of him, essentially saying you don't have venue. The Senate doesn't have venue because he's no longer the president. And what else did they argue? What was some of the other – did they give any other reason for why – this is illegitimate the second uh, in peace? yeah i mean they, they made a kind of bogus
1: first amendment argument too that this was within trump's freedom of speech but let me finish about the venue also two other things i forgot to tell you you know one is that um the senate's the senate did vote on that that argument the other day and uh, they voted 55-45 that the senate does have jurisdiction and and that senate vote itself is not something that's appealable to any court so that that is that is a final verdict on that Um, And that's why the trial will proceed and and no court can interfere with that trial from proceeding. Um, And of course, there, as I said, there've been other impeachments, although not of presidents, but there've been other impeachments um, of once of a secretary of defense and once of a senator um, uh, that happened after um, they'd resigned and left office. So this won't be the first time this happens. So I did want to say that. Then on the First Amendment issue, which is the other argument I think Trump makes, um, he argues that all he did was give a speech um, expressing his opinions that the election was stolen, um, on the, on the ellipse behind the white house on January 6th and that he was just expressing his own political opinions. And that was part of his freedom of speech. And it's not really on him if, uh, people who listened to him then went and, uh, uh violently attacked the, the Capitol that, that he, he didn't violently attack the Capitol and he, he just spoke. So he does make that argument, um, in in the brief. But that that's not really a meritorious argument uh, either, for a couple reasons. One, um, the the First Amendment standard doesn't even apply to impeachments, right? So the, the First Amendment standard applies to criminal trials. Uh, but uh, a president could be impeached for for violating his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution and the government of the United States, um, even if even if the way that he violated that oath was through words. So he doesn't have exactly the same First Amendment rights uh, as everybody else. He has to um, uphold his oath or else he can be impeached. And an impeachment isn't a criminal trial. Uh, but another thing about that freedom of speech argument is it, it, it's not really true, even if this was a criminal trial, and I actually hope he is tried criminally, um, there's a number of reasons why, uh, even if he was a criminal defendant, I don't think he, he could, could really successfully argue that he was within, within his First Amendment rights. And there's, there's two main reasons for that. Um, one is, the, 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 he didn't only make a speech, right? He, the, as the articles of impeachment correctly point out, the speech was sort of the culminating final moment of uh, a, a two months long war um, to subvert the election. And it included um, a course of conduct where he tried through many other means, through, through um, trying to corruptly influence um, state officials, through trying to corruptly influence state legislators, through trying to corruptly uh, influence members of Congress and actually succeeding at corruptly influencing a lot of members of Congress. Um, and then sort of his final contingency was his resort to violence. But a, but a, but a two-month two long plan that plays out that culminates in violence actually makes him an accessory to the violence or an accomplice to the violence. So it's not, it's not just speech. It would be like a bank robber who hands a note to the teller, holds a gun and hands a note and says, you know, your money or your life, saying, well, when I said your money or my life, that, that, that was just my freedom of speech, right? You know, they, they can't say that because it's part of a course of conduct that includes the threat of violence and, and the robbery of money. And here, you know, th- the, these words were just part of a, a course of conduct. That um, uh, inexorably led to the violence that we actually saw, and to the attempts to subvert the election. So, so I don't think it can, the speech can be looked at in isolation. And then the final thing is, even if the speech could be looked at in isolation, um, the Supreme Court's test would be pretty protective if the only thing he did was give that one speech. Um, there, there is a fair amount of freedom of speech to, to, to say things that might be incendiary, um, but even there, there's limits. And you know, the sort of classic example is, you can't say uh, you know, fire in a crowded theater or something like that. And the, the actual legal test for that is, um, if, if a speech is um, actually intended to cause imminent violent uh, uh, or criminal acts, um, and it and it, and there's a reasonable probability that it that it will cause imminent violent acts, and in fact it does cause um, imminent violent acts in, in real time um, in response to the speech. Uh, then it then it can lose its First Amendment protection, and and this seems to be. Almost a textbook example of that. Um, you know so even if the only thing he did was give that speech, uh, there's just, I think a fairly strong argument that that would go outside the protection even of, of pure freedom of speech.
0: Let me read some of the actual words from January 6th when he uh, Donald J. Trump walking talking constitutional stress test got up and said, quote, "You'll never take back our country with weakness. you have to show strength and you have to be strong." I know everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully, patriotically, Make your voices heard. Now, I know that during this impeachment trial in the Senate, we are going to hear Coach Jim Jordan over and over again scream that word peacefully. We're going to hear Lindsey Graham mention it. We're going to hear Louis Gomert mention it. This is the word that they're going to hang their entire case on. They're going to claim that the president himself was not trying to get people to violently protest and that was just a mob that took it upon themselves to turn and walk from the ellipse to the capitol and to uh make their way inside. This is nonsense, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah, well I mean I mean you're right that that's what the senators are going to say and the senators are going to vote to acquit and and they, they might you know they're going to hang it in part on that and in part on the the bogus argument about um uh, no jurisdiction but I think if you put this in front of a, a criminal jury and again I do hope this gets put in front of a criminal jury I hope he's prosecuted for all this then I think the way the prosecutors could um, uh, address those kinds of arguments would be to note you know that 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 Trump himself and his staff and his campaign and, and people that he's that work in the White House were very much involved in in coordinating um, uh, the, the 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 presence of of, of these um, known violent extremists that they were in contact with, um, to be there and that, um, that, that they had experience with some of these people at, at you know, at some of the, um, the, 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 the rallies that took place at the different state capitals and at the Charlottesville uh, uh, white supremacist rally a couple of years ago, you know, it's some of the same people. So they know what kind of people they're, they're, they're calling there and, and they, know, um, they know how these people understand this coded language. And, and, and then the, the people themselves who attacked the Capitol there's just tons of footage of them saying, "Yeah, we did this because Trump sent us here. Trump told us to do this." So, so certainly that crowd understood um, Trump as telling them to go there and attack the uh, the Capitol. Um, so I think there's there's um, and he had other language in there, not just that language about peaceful. I think there's a different part where he says, you know, some of these um, uh, Congress Republican Congress members that are going to vote to recognize Biden's win, you know, they they may think they're they're um, they're 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 being courageous or something but you know, or, the, the, or they may think it takes courage. They might think it takes courage to vote for me, but they're going to find that it'll take a lot more courage to vote against me. You know, I think that very much conveys a physical threat that he's trying to convey uh, against these people. So, you know, I think there's there's words that he was using that his, that kind of crowd would recognize as dog whistles. And I think there's um, going to be some evidence that um, it wasn't just the dog whistles because there was other communications between Trump's people and these people. Um, about what they wanted to see. And they had all these dry runs at these different state capitals already where where violent mobs were trying to attack the different state capitals. So I I think a prosecutor could certainly argue that his word peaceful was said with such a wink and a nod that, that nobody in his crowd understood him to actually mean peaceful.
0: Well, he said, among other things, quote, our country has had enough, unquote, quote, we will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. To use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal, unquote. He kept speaking of fighting, quote, if we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore, unquote. We want to go back and we want to get this right because we're going to have somebody in there that should not be in there and our country will be destroyed and we're not going to stand for that, unquote. Quote, nobody knows what the hell is going on. There's never been anything like this. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. Not going to let it happen, unquote. And he assailed weak, quote, weak and pathetic Republicans who were not standing up for him. I mean, this is
1: very inflammatory, isn't it? Yeah, very inflammatory. And there's absolutely no doubt that they did um, imminently, uh, upon hearing that, um, in fact, march to the Capitol and violently attack it. Um, that he said he was going there in front of the line and he would meet them there, although he didn't actually do it, but that was one of the reasons they went there. Um, and it, it seems that the, um, you know, it, from the reporting that's been in Axios and in the New York Times over the past few days, um, it, it, it seems like you can trace back inside the White House um, a, a plot to actually disrupt the electoral count as, as the very last resort of, of these various schemes that if they couldn't get enough Republican members of of Congress to vote um, to not to recognize the electoral count, they would just try to disrupt it from actually happening. And I believe they thought that if they could make it not happen on uh, January 20th, um, uh, that that would somehow uh, throw the uh, election back into the House of Representatives rather than um, leaving it uh, with the Electoral College. Although that was a crazy theory, but that seems to be a theory that they believed in, that, they, they, that they, if they just simply disrupted the count and made sure it couldn't happen that day, that the Electoral College would, would then um, not ever uh, have an opportunity to vote. So, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of reason to think that um, the plot was launched in the White House to dispatch all these, these mostly white supremacist militia members Um, to the Congress. Um, And remember, they did some other things, too, like they planted uh, pipe bombs at the headquarters of the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee, seemingly in hopes that those would go off and distract off um, Capitol Police so there'd be even fewer Capitol Police defending the place. Trump also gave orders to the Pentagon um, not to allow the National Guard to go out there um, and and he's got complete control over the D.C. National Guard. And then even when um, uh, I think Steny Hoyer, who's the second in, in in command at the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi's lieutenant Steny Hoyer, who's a congressman from Maryland, he called the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, who he knew, and said, "Send the Maryland National Guard." Wait a here. minute! Did
0: he go Hogan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would have been great, <laughs> but
1: Hogan couldn't send the Maryland. Hogan ordered the Maryland National Guard to go defend the Capitol against these rioters, and the Pentagon intervened and and would not approve that until several hours went by. So, so Trump break. was taking other steps at the same time to make sure that um, the riot would not be um, quickly um, uh, put down.
0: I gotta, I gotta break some news because we mentioned Louis Gohmert. He's been fined five thousand dollars, and Andrew Clyde for. Bypassing handheld metal detectors before entering the House chamber on Thursday in violation of a rule adopted this week. So they're each, they're the first lawmakers to face this fine. And his response, Louis Gormert's response, was, quote, We'll be appealing because this is ridiculous. This isn't the Godfather where you plant a gun in the toilet tank, unquote. But just to be accurate, uh, in the Godfather, they planted the gun behind the toilet tank, not in the toilet tank, you moron. And I'm sorry to call him a moron because now I sound like Marjorie Taylor Greene is now referring to Democrats as morons. But, uh, yeah, he um, and a lot of other Republican lawmakers, they're not happy about the metal detector detectors that were added to uh, the entrances to the House chambers. And they've been walking around them and basically saying, screw you. Now they're going to start fining these lawmakers $5,000 each time. So that's pretty good. I think that money yeah, think should uh, go directly to some kind of uh, – Gun safety organization or some damn thing like that. But um, speaking of sequels, The Godfather. A lot of people would say Godfather Two might have been even a better film than Godfather One. But as sequels go, I mean, do you think this impeachment trial more dramatic, less dramatic, as dramatic as the last one we lived through?
1: It should be. It should be better. But I am a little bit worried about um, the, the 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 some of the Democratic senators. Will feel like they can't waste too much time with it. That's the thing that really worries me because if they if they had enough time to do it, everything about it should be better. the, the fact that the Dems are in control now means they can call as many witnesses as they want to, um, which was something they just weren't able to do in the in the first impeachment trial. And also, that I think the um, for from an entertainment value standpoint, uh, or just from a visceral presentation standpoint, you know, it's just more interesting. Like the to see um, them kind of piece together. Um, a, a violent mob that physically attacked the Capitol while, you know, wearing Viking outfits and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, it, it seems it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more um, visceral and less technical. Um, Than you know withholding military aid from Ukraine while they're uh, f- fighting a war against Russia or something like that. So I, mean, I, well, I think this has all the makings of a, a better trial, but it just depends if the Dems will um, be able to really give it all the time and, it and deserves. If
0: nothing rises to the level of an impeachable offense, if if this doesn't, then nothing does because when you're when you're provoking a mob to a, to to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power to disrupt an election, isn't that something the framers themselves were? I mean, wasn't that one of the reasons they had to put impeachment in there? Because there's going to be somebody who's not going to want to either leave office, is going to claim that the election is illegitimate. We can't have this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a direct attack
1: on our constitutional form of government because it's, it's literally an attack on a co-equal branch of the United States government, uh, the Congress, um, in, in service of a, a coup. You know, I think it's the most impeachable thing I've ever heard of. And, you know, some some federal judges have been impeached for you know being drunk while they were deciding cases. I
0: mean, you know, compare this to that. Well, of the odds that 17 Republican senators will cross the lines, uh, we we can count Romney in there. He's already said that he would. There was early talk from uh, what Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins that they might. I remember at one point the figure was up to five. So then you had another dozen. I I think we've lost a few of that five, haven't we? Aren't these people going to hang tough with this former president?
1: Most likely. I mean, it's hard to know exactly. There were five that did, in fact, vote with the Dems um, to say that the Senate does have jurisdiction to hear this trial, even though um, Trump's already left office. So I think people are looking at those five as being potentially available votes. I think, you know, a number of Republicans have announced they're not uh, running again. So. You know, there could be a little bit more latitude um, for, uh, you know, these Republican senators, most of whom are over the age of 80, um, although my, um, Senator Rob Portman of um, Ohio, who's only in his 60s, also said he's not going to run again in 22 Um you know some of them, if they're never going to face the voters again, they may be able to vote their consciences. Um, some you know, I think Mitch McConnell apparently had had a view earlier, although he may have abandoned this by now, um, that, that, that uh, Trump cost the Republicans the um, elections in Georgia, and he will cost them the suburbs and hence the Senate, and that the, the Republicans need to find a strategy to get rid of Trump and get rid of Trumpism. But it does seem like he found so little support for that strategy. Um, over the past few weeks that he himself walked back from it. So I don't I don't know what McConnell's going to do. But uh, yeah, I I think probably you could look at some number around five, you know, plus or minus two, depending on um, how 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 visceral the evidence is that's presented at the impeachment trial.
0: Now, do you get to watch the whole thing? Are you uh, supposed to be teaching? I mean, is this part (laughs) of is this part of your I mean, you'd have to watch this, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're, I, if you're I want in to watch your office as as with your feet up it's on kinda, your desk watching yeah. this thing, you're not slacking off.
1: No, I mean, I'm, I have to teach all my classes. Right. And I, I, I teach on Mountain Time now, which is not the same as Eastern Time. So, um, you know, so like I have to teach kind of through the middle of the day a lot. But um, I'm pretty free in the mornings because it's still super early in the morning Mountain Time then. So I'm going to watch as much of this trial as I can. And, and you know, one of the nice things about modern Um, you know, telecommunications, I guess, is I can watch parts later that evening if I miss some parts, you know, during the day. So I I certainly will watch as much as I can. I
0: like listening to it, too, because I find listening to it. I know there's going to be a lot of visuals, as you mentioned, they're going to be playing a lot of footage because this was the most well-documented insurrection in the history of the world. All these people shot video on their cameras. By the way, the cameras on and the phones are what are leading these people to be rounded up because they got all the information they got all the pings they know where these people went when they left the capitol building in in instances many instances they could follow the cell tower pings back to these people's homes and they're rounding them up so uh it's it's fairly interesting i don't know if that brings up any constitutional issues by the way when you sign up your for your cell phone contract there i'm sure there's small print that says they're going to turn the the records over to the government if asked. So I don't know if you have, do you, do, should we get into a well, privacy conversation? Yeah, or, I mean, no? I,
1: I can be quick on that one. Um, no, there's no legal locational privacy issues um, if you're just talking about a single event like this. Um, the Supreme Court has said that there's some rights to locational privacy. Um, if, if, a, if a law enforcement would ask a phone company, you know, tell us everywhere that Chris T has been for the last six months while he's had his cell phone on, um, there there are some legal privacy rights against um, that that's significant of a violation of locational privacy, but but if a if a crime has been committed and and the, and then the law enforcement goes to the cell phone companies and says, well, you know, tell us, you know, whose whose cell phones were in the place where the crime was committed, um, they're absolutely going to get that on a simple subpoena. They don't even need a um, a warrant, and the, and they probably won't even need a subpoena because they'll just ask and they'll get it voluntarily.
0: So that's uh, by the way, these uh, a lot of these records were leaked to uh to the media and that's why we know that this is how law enforcement is rounding a lot of these people up so uh, i i do have a feeling a lot of these people are going to be serving lengthy jail sentences don't you think i mean eight years wouldn't be unheard of 10 years what are the, some of the kind of sentences that especially those who broke in uh yeah. might be facing and those who took pictures of official documents those who stole official documents laptops how long could they be doing Well, I think you're going to see an incredible diversity of sentences, actually, because you
1: had 800 people go in. And I don't think it's possible to throw the book at 800 people. And I also think there's all kinds of degrees of culpability, right? You got people who went in and beat a Capitol policeman to death with a fire extinguisher. um, And you got people who went in and got, you know, tear gassed and turned around and left, you know, so I think the levels of culpability aren't similar. And there's also going to be... um, you know, some of these people are going to cooperate when push comes to shove. You know, if they're told, you know, you're facing an eight year sentence unless you tell us everybody else that was in with you, who they are, what they said, what they did. You know, some of these people are going to cooperate. So I'm guessing that you're going to probably see out of the 800 people that were in there, you know, a, a large number of slap on the wrist sentences, maybe as many as half of them, you know, are going to get off with, you know, week. Sentences of weeks rather than years, um, but I think there's going to be a serious effort to find out, you know, who the more culpable ones were, who the ones that are actually part of the the three percenters and the and the the, the proud boys the and the various keepers. other neo-Nazi yeah, okay. militias, you know, who went in there with a serious effort to kill people and and kill Mike, hang Mike Pants, kill. AOC. You know, some of these people went in there with very serious intent to do those kinds of things. And I do think the investigation is going to route out who those people were. And those people are, yeah, are going to probably have the book thrown at them in a very significant way.
0: Let's remind people once again, Ken Katkin is with us, constitutional law professor from Northern Kentucky University, Chase College of Law, visiting law professor at, uh, University of Colorado Boulder uh, one last thing it turns out that uh, that vote that you mentioned it's a it's a simple majority vote to rule him to rule him uh, out of ever running for federal office again uh, but they also could strip him of any of his post president's benefits. There's something called the post President's Act. They could remove his social security his uh secret service security detail. they can remove his pension. They can remove his yearly travel allowance. There's, listen, if Georgia can put a Jew and an African-American in the Senate, <laughs> there's some hope here, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, although I have to correct hope.
1: one thing. Um, it's true that it only takes a simple majority vote to disqualify him from future office. But, but that's only after conviction, which requires a two-thirds vote. So if they don't get the two-thirds vote to convict, they actually can't disqualify him from holding future office.
0: All right. Thanks for pointing that out. It's always a pleasure to speak with Ken Katkin. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. By the way, the impeachment trial begins February 9th, Tuesday, February 9th. Uh, my chosen venue for that will be C-SPAN because I don't need all the opinions and armchair quarterbacking that goes on otherwise. But uh, we'll have you back afterwards, and we'll we'll do a postmortem. Yeah. Thanks again. After Ken. or even
1: or even during, I'd even love to during. come back. Thanks, Chris. Yeah,
0: thanks. Appreciate it. There goes Ken Kakin, and that'll do it for me, Chris T. Here on Aerial View on the Hound. NYC.com where you can hear Hound Howls every Sunday 3 p.m. Eastern Time Crashing a Party do up, Chop Shop of the Year with Mark and Miriam Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time this show replays on Tuesday at 6 p.m. becomes a podcast oh in about five minutes from now available on uh, Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Amazon Music Podcasts SoundCloud Spotify Stitcher YouTube all that crap Thanks again to Ken Katkin. Don't forget Trash Flow Radio. You can hear it on WAIF at WAIF88883.org. That's 88.3 FM in Cincinnati. But man now, don't you fear? I can love you now don't you hear? Yeah. Do